Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is Jeremiah 29, 4 through 14. The Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel, proclaims to all the exiles I have carried off from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, cultivate gardens and eat what they produce, get married and have children, then help your sons find wives and your daughters find husbands in order that they too may have children. Increase in number there so that you will not dwindle away. Promote the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because your future depends on its welfare. The Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel, proclaims, Don't let the prophets and diviners in your midst mislead you. Don't pay attention to your dreams. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I didn't send them, declares the Lord. The Lord proclaims, when Babylon's 70 years are up, I will come and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. I know the plans I have in mind for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for peace, not disaster, to give you a future filled with hope. When you call on me and come and pray to me, I will listen to you. I will... And when you search for me, yes, search for me with all your heart, you will find me. I will be present for you, declares the Lord, and I will end your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have scattered you, and I will bring you home after your long exile, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest as the rest of us are seated. Hello, uh, my name is Daniel Long. I'm a pastor here. Um, if this is your first time, I'm grateful that you're with us. Um, one of the, before I pray and we get into the sermon this morning, one of the things I wanted to share that I'm so grateful for is I don't know how many of you were there, but last week during the second hour, we had a time in the chapel, and um, the elders kind of gave some updates about some things and, and shared a few things, and then we had this really remarkable time where we were given an opportunity to kind of share the things, that, the good things that we see happening at Grace. And we would respond um, by saying, thanks be to God or amen. And there's always a risk when you do something like that, that nobody's going to ever say anything. As you say, are there good things happening? And, and you just are afraid you're going to hear crickets. Uh, now, if you were there, you know that wasn't the case. And it was incredibly beautiful. And I'm so grateful for all of you who shared because it's been, those have been some words that I've carried with me throughout the week that I really have felt like have kind of buoyed me this week and, and giving me just a sense of, of, of gratitude and encouragement. And so thank you for taking that risk. And it was such a wonderful practice. I would love for us to just keep doing. As soon as we were like going through, I'm like, just nope, keep it going. To be here for like another hour, two hours, however long, because it was just so good. So I just wanted to name that. So grateful for it. And if you weren't there, bummer, because it was awesome. So uh, next time we do it,
be sure to, to be sure to be there because it was again so encouraging. Well, I'm going to pray and ask that God would speak to us through His Word. God, you are present with us. You are a God who speaks and is faithful to keep speaking. And thank you that that is true. Help us to be people who are faithful to hear and to listen. God, I ask that you would kind of remove all of the things that that are maybe occupying our minds, the things that are occupying my mind, so that I might hear from you, so that we might hear from you and what it is you are wanting to share with us. And I pray that this morning we'd be transformed by your love, that your kindness would lead us to repentance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in the middle of a series that we've, we're called, we've called Becoming, and it's this idea of, of some things that God might want to do within us, how he might want to shape us, and the four words, the four characteristics, the four kind of virtues that we're looking at are humility, trust, hope, and joy. And we're kind of spending two weeks on each of those, and we're going to be talking about hope this morning. And each one of these we're spending two weeks on because there's this idea that that each of these kind of has this vertical dimension um, as what does it look like to be humble in relation to God, but also this horizontal dimension, what does it look like to be humble in relation to others? And we, looked, we did the same thing with trust, and we're going to do the same thing with hope. What does it mean to hope in God? And if I put my hope in God, what might that mean for my relationships and how I am in the world? So we're going to be looking at Jeremiah 29 this morning. Now, I have a love-hate relationship with Jeremiah 29. Because I think it's an incredible passage, but it's one of these passages that's been like co-opted and used in the worst possible way sometimes, right? I don't know if you've heard this, but I've experienced loss in my life where I've been around a lot of people who've experienced loss. And sometimes in the middle of grief, someone will just kind of pull out Jeremiah 29. Well, you know, it's good because God says, I know the plans that I have for you. Um, Plans to give you a future and a hope, plans to prosper you. And it's like the worst thing. It's like, the, it like grates on you because you're like, this doesn't seem kind of appropriate or maybe this doesn't even seem like, like the way that, that this was intended to be, to be used or to be shared. And if you've ever felt that, you're totally right. Because Jeremiah 29, it speaks of hope, but it's like it has, it's hope with teeth. Like in the context, it's so important to this passage because here's what's happening in Jeremiah 29. So this passage becomes, at this time in Israel... When, when Jerusalem has fallen, it's like the, the turn of the 6th century B.C., and Jerusalem has fallen and they're being taken into Babylon. They are removed from all of their sort of social, spiritual, religious life in Jerusalem, taken into a place where they're completely dislocated, a place where they don't know, a place where they are completely alienated. And this letter from Jeremiah comes to them in this moment, where they don't have a sense anymore of who they are and what it means that they are God's people. If we are God's people, then why are we not with God's presence where the temple is in Jerusalem, which has just been ransacked and taken? And so here's where this letter comes. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Jeremiah 29, it's on page 656 in the blue Bibles underneath you. And we're going to kind of go through this, and I'm going to make some observations. So it's in this context, then, this letter from Jeremiah is sent to the people, and it says this in verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its wellness or in its welfare you will find your welfare. This is like a record scratch moment. Now here are the people of God taken into exile, waiting, grateful that they have a word from the Lord. And so this word comes from Jeremiah, and he says, God has sent you there, and what I want you to do is to get used to it. Build houses, plant gardens, give your sons over to to marriage and your daughters and create families, and actually, even more, seek the welfare of the place in which you are exiled, in the evil empire that is Babylon. Now, if you were in this context, you would think this is the worst thing that you could ever hear. And the text actually continues to go on, and it say it will last for at least 70 years. Some of you are going to die there. This is not something they would want to hear. Of course, they would think that Jeremiah is full of it. There was already some talk, maybe some some understanding of Jeremiah actually working for the wrong side. And this proves everything they thought about Jeremiah. How is this a word of hope for the people of God when they are in exile to get used to it? How can this possibly be a word of hope? Well, what I love about it is there's this incredible sense of realism, right? So before there is a word of hope, there's this sense in which you are in exile, and you're going to be there for a long time. But actually, there's this also this sense of calling while they're in exile. While you're there, here's what I want you to do. Build houses, plant gardens, and seek the shalom. Now, the shalom is such an important word in the biblical story. It's this idea of complete and utter wholeness, where everything is kind of working with divine purpose, and things are being renewed and restored, and it's beautiful. You are to seek that. In in Babylon, there's a sense of calling, but there's this sense of hope. And where is the hope? It's that God is actually in all of it. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, in Jeremiah 29, 4, it says this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now that somehow God is even in the people being removed from Jerusalem and taken into exile. There is hope in the sense that God is connected to their past. But if you continue, there's also hope for the future in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for wholeness and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. You will seek me with all your heart. This is one of my favorite lines in this passage. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather... You from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you 
into exile. So God is in all of this. This is an incredible picture story of hope because it means that God is somehow involved in their past and that God secures their future, that their story is being held by God. And when you lose the perspective that somehow God has been working and at work in your past and that God secures your future, all that's left in the present is despair. Now here's my question. Do any of you ever feel like where you are or what you've done has in some sense been a waste? You look at your life in the present and you think, how could I be here? What have I done to get here? And it feels like everything, all the choices you've made, all the things you've done and participated in, it was a complete and utter waste of time. And here you are and you don't know how you got here. You look at your past and you think, well, that was for nothing. How many of you think in the present and you, you can't, like the, the future is foreclosed, you can't imagine a different way of being The world seems like it's just going in one certain direction toward one certain place, and that place isn't heaven. And you just can't help but think, oh my goodness, tomorrow is going to be like today, and then the next day after that it's going to be like today. It's just going to be going and going and going and going. It's like the people of Israel and Egypt, when all they were doing was making bricks and bricks and bricks over and over and over and over again. The future will always be the same as today. The past adds up to absolutely nothing. And all that's left in the present is despair. But Jeremiah 29, it actually has this word of hope where it says, no, look, God is involved in your exile. And how God is involved in our stories and our decisions to bring us into a place, I don't know how that works. Sometimes the Bible doesn't seem to know how it works. What it says is that somehow God is wrapped up in all of it. But we need to hold on to that truth that somehow even in our exile, God is responsible, is connected, is with us in it. But also, there is a hope for the future. There is a hope for something different. I will be found by you. You will seek me and find me. I will take you out of exile. And I will restore you. And I will renew you. And you will be a people. Do you find yourself in a place where all that you feel is left for you to do is despair? Because when you despair, resignation is the only option. You're just resigned to the way things are. Do you feel resigned in your life to the way things are? Despair Resignation is not a Christian attitude of mind. Hope is. Because God is the one who holds our stories. God is the one who's been wrapped up in our past. God is the one who secures our future. And what that makes possible is a complete and utter transformation, at least in our imagination, of what is possible in the present. Tim Keller says this, Biblical hope is life-shaping certainty about the future. It's a life-shaping certainty about the future. But see, what's required in the present to have the sense of hope in the future 
and this sense of trust that God was involved in my past or our past is to actually surrender to this idea that God is at work in my life. I had this experience this last week where on Tuesday, Beth and I got together with some other pastors around the city. Um, and, and there's this moment where um, this pastor, he, he, and this pastors do this all the time, where, where he's like, you know what, I'm going to do something totally, I wasn't planning on this. And, um, and of course he brings out the Bible, and he, he says, and I can make fun of this because, you know, I am one. So, um, so he, he, he reads, and he's like, I feel like God put this on, on my mind. And he reads Jesus' words, um, you know, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he said, I'd like for us to go into a time of prayer. And I was like, oh, no, like, this is for me. You know, it's like, just had this sense of, uh-oh. And so I, I, was, I, I was waiting for it. And so he said, we're going to have a time for prayer. If you feel like you are in a place or in a time in your life where you feel like you are burdened and heavy laden, I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand. And even before this, my friend Eric Marsh came around and he put his hands on my back because he, he, he knows me. And so I was like, man, I'm going to have to raise my hand. This is the worst. Um, and so I, but I raised my hand. And so then people came and, and they began to pray for me. Um, and, and I was wearing this uh, windbreaker, and it's important to the story. I'm not just telling you that I, what I was wearing. Um, and, and I was wearing this windbreaker, and so I, I was, uh, people came around me, and, and they had their hands on me, and they were praying. And, and, and I didn't say, hey, this is what I need prayer for, or would you please um, pray this for me? And, and so one, one woman began to pray, and she began to comment on my jacket in her prayer. And, and she, she began to, to say, you know, I have, I have this image of you being ready for, um, for some intense weather. And, and she, and, and I'm not making, you guys are laughing, and, um, which makes me feel insecure, like I'm making fun of her praying for me, I'm not. But so I'm just saying, she was, she was like, you know, I, 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 I have the sense that, that you're ready for intense weather, or you've been experiencing some sort of intensity in terms of like, of rain and downpour, and of course I'm thinking I wore the wrong clothing today. Uh, I should have wore something different because it seems really right what she's praying. And, and, then, and then she says this, like, she says, I feel like God is, is maybe asking or maybe trying to reframe your experience of the present that instead of, instead of being afraid of the rain or being overwhelmed by it, to jump in puddles in the rain. And, and I've been wrestling with that image because I think, but what if I just don't want it to rain? Like, what if I don't want to be in the rain? I, I don't want to jump in puddles if I don't want to be in the rain. Um, and, but I've been wrestling with that all week because there's this sense of absolute and utter surrender. Because if, if you want to be anywhere else other than where you are, then you'll never actually be able to, in my case, if you want to be out of the rain, you'll never see it as an opportunity to jump in puddles. If you want to be somewhere else other than where you are, then there's this constant sense of, like, of struggle and of holding on and a complete and utter like, inability to discover what God might have for you in it. Well, I think about that and its connection 
for me in Jeremiah 29 11 because there's this sense of exile which can really be described as like you are in a place where you don't want to be. You would rather be anywhere else other than exile. But God, through Jeremiah, says, but here's what I want you to do. I actually want you to build houses and to plant gardens and to seek the welfare of the city. I want you to know that even there, I am present. And that, therefore, where you are is a place where you can do good work. Your past isn't a waste. Your future is secured. That produces hope so that in the present you can actually live. And, it was, and, and this kind of work, at least God doing in my mind, and I'm not, I have not arrived I'm still not sure I want to be in the rain. But there is this sense of like, this, this, this hope that even in the present, that God is, is doing something profound. That God is at work and hasn't left and hasn't abandoned. And that I don't need to look back and say, man, how did I end up here? And I don't need to look forward and be like, well, that's never going to happen. I mean, I just feel like some of us maybe find ourselves there. And the Christian attitude, the Christian frame of mind is to say, no. God secures my future. I can have hope in the present. And it reframes everything. So then what does hope make possible? Well, hope makes possible this reframing of the present but it actually makes possible this sense that you are called to live into that hope in the present. That that future secured for you is out there, but that you, even in the present, can live toward it and into it. See, on this side of the cross and resurrection, we have a secured future. And you can read about this future in Revelation 21, which is this incredible picture of how things will be when God comes to us and restores everything and all tears will be wiped away. All sickness will be gone. Death will be no more. That is the future that is secured for us. So in the present, we have an opportunity to orient our lives toward it and to live into it. And it will shape our decisions now. That's what I love about Jeremiah. Even though they're in exile, their sense of calling is are to do the most ordinary things that they could possibly think of. I'm just going to read them again. So since you're in exile, here's what I want you to do. Verse 5, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Have families. Multiply there. I mean, these are the most ordinary possible things that God is calling them to do. And those are even ways our ordinary lives are ways to live into the future that God has for us. And what's really interesting about exile is it was quite possibly the most creative time in all of Israelite history. A lot of scholars think that a lot of the Bible was actually written in the time of exile. Eugene Peterson says this, They didn't lose their identity in exile, they discovered it. They learned how to pray in deeper and more life-changing ways than ever. They wrote and copied and pondered the vast revelation that had come down to them from Moses and the prophets. 
and they came to recognize the incredible riches of their scriptures. They found that God was not dependent on a place, that he was not tied to familiar surroundings. The violent dislocation of the exile shook them out of their comfortable reality-distorting assumptions and allowed them to see the depths and heights that they had never imagined before. They lost everything that they thought was important and found what was most important. They found God. When God holds our stories, when, when our hope can be found in the fact that God secures our future, then it, the present, even in exile, wherever you might be, is an opportunity to discover afresh the transforming presence of God. That is what's possible. That is what secures our hope. That is what keeps us going even in the now. And my friends, I just think, I can't help but think about our church, Grace Long Beach. I can't help but think about the church as a whole. That sometimes maybe it has felt or it does feel like we're in this kind of liminal place of exile. We don't really know how we got here. I talk with pastors and, or I read a lot of things about people's understanding of the church and they think the same thing. There's this incredible sense of perhaps despair and resignation about where the church is. But that completely loses sight of the fact that God is involved in all of this. That our past as a church, God has been there, working in it to bring us to now. And that our future as a church, as the church, is secured in the work of God and the work that he's done in Jesus Christ. That is what secures us. That is what makes hope possible. And we have a calling. We have a calling then, as the church, to seek the welfare of the city in which we are. To seek the welfare of the places where God has put you. Jobs, neighborhoods, um, coffee shops, wherever you might be. We are called to seek the welfare of our place of exile, of being dislocated. Because the welfare of the city is our welfare too. That is our calling as a church. Someone asked Stanley Hauerwas a favorite theologian of mine, how do we learn to hope in a world where there are no solutions? Do you ever feel like we're in a world where there are no solutions? Do you feel like we have a political climate in which there are no solutions? Do you feel like we have a church, this large sense of the church and these theological questions in front of us where it just feels like there are no solutions? Does it sometimes feel like we are under the weight of this completely... un? I can't even finish the sentence because it feels so complicated, right? What's in front of us? But this sense that, that man, there's a sense of, of pervasive despair, hopelessness, and resignation. I don't know the way forward, so what are we going to do? And here's how we answered it. First, we need to make sure and distinguish hope from optimism. Hope is a virtue that draws on the presumption that you've been given gifts you have not anticipated that make you capable of being a presence in a world of despair. To say, the very fact that I'm here means all is not lost. So hope first and foremost is presence. The very fact that we, God's people, are here means for the world that all hope is not lost. Isn't that crazy to think? 
that our church community, Grace Long Beach, connected to all the other churches in the world as God's people, we bear testimony to the fact that all hope is not lost. So in a world that might be despairing, in a world that might think hope is lost, you who might think there is just no hope, the fact that we are here, named by God as his children, saved by grace, all hope is not lost. That's a beautiful thing, and that is our calling, to bear witness to hope in a world of despair and darkness. So here's what I want to do. I want to thank you, many of my friends who live into hope in some very specific ways. I'm going to try to get through this. I want to thank you who've chosen to bring in children into your family who aren't yours, but who will be and have become, because you are living into hope, and you are saying that all hope is not lost, even to the fact that I'm going to have my own, or I'm going to invite other children into my home. I want to thank you whose marriages are rocky and difficult for not giving up. You are living into hope if you have not resigned to the way things are, thinking that they will always be that way. So keep fighting. Thank you to those of you who suffer addiction of some sort, and you fall and you get back up over and over again. You're living into hope. Thanks to those of you who have undergone some incredible sense of loss in your life. The loss of a child, of a spouse, of a parent. And yet you open your life up to other people. And you give yourself in ways where you've become wounded healers. You are living into hope. Thank you to those of you who are suffering chronic illness, whose future is uncertain, at least in terms of your health here on earth. Thank you for opening your lives up to others to let us engage with you and journey with you in that. You are living into hope. Thank you for those who have chosen to forgive when what's before you seems like a complete and utter license to be bitter and to hold on to that anger and frustration. You're living into hope. Thank you for those of you who are here at Grace Long Beach, a part of the church in general, in all of its messiness and complication. Your presence and your faithfulness is a testimony to the hope that you have in Christ. And you are living into hope. And so what are the other ways that we might be living into hope? What are the other ways that God might be calling us into to live into hope? Because our future has been secured. Our righteousness is found in Christ. God promises restoration, renewal, and reconciliation. That is the future. That is what's true. And we can live into it. So I say, let us then 
begin to build homes in a place where there's just so much homelessness. Let us begin to create and form and have families in a culture ravaged by loneliness. Let us plant gardens where we can share at a time when it just seems like all people want to do is acquire. Let us be people who seek wholeheartedly after God, knowing and trusting that he will be found by us. I mean, that is hope. That is what God is calling us as his people to do, is to be people who live into hope, in the hope that is secured by Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. Amen. Yes. Amen to that. We're going to have time to pray in a minute. I'm going to close with a passage that someone reminded me, a friend of mine reminded me of this week in a conversation. But before that, I do want to let you know that there's opportunity to be prayed for. And even moving toward, you don't know why. You don't know what you're going to be prayed for. I didn't know what, I was, what someone was going to pray for me this last week. But even that small raising of the hand, right, was an act of hope. That I want, I need God's nourishment. Perhaps your moving towards somebody can be an act of hope to receive prayer. Because perhaps God wants to meet you there. And, and to show you very tangibly that he loves you through the words that people pray for you. That's going to be happening in a moment. But before that, I want to read these words. I know of no better, just few verses that point to hope. It's from the Apostle Paul in the 8th chapter of Romans, and it says this. Let this wash over you, because this is what's true of you. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks be to God that that is true.